Hey guys, welcome back to the Oh My Allergies podcast. It's your hostess with the mostest, Valencia. And if you are new to the Oh My Allergies podcast, Oh My Allergies is about all things allergies. So whether that is food allergies, seasonal allergies, if you have pet allergies, if your pet has allergies, being allergic to beauty products, just pretty much everything in between about allergies. And this whole reasoning behind this podcast is to be able to create a sense of community and being able to help each other out learning how to navigate life and thrive with allergies. So today's episode is all about why are blacks more likely to develop food allergies and it's something that I've wanted to talk about and I'm going to get into a little bit about the backstory behind this topic, what made me want to talk about this topic when I am getting to that part of the episode. But before we get into today's topic, you guys know I have to talk about what's been going on. So what's been going on with me? Well, first off, I want to say sorry that I was away for an entire week. I really missed you guys and being able to talk with you guys here on the podcast. But I sent my computer out for service and I didn't really realize that, like, I mean, I know that I podcast through my computer, but like it didn't click until after I dropped off my computer for service and I was like, crap, I can't do anything until I get it back. So this whole process has made me want to invest in getting a more portable setup. So I've been doing some research on getting newer portable equipment just so that if something happens to my computer, like I can still be able to record and then be able to find like another device to be able to do the editing on. And that would probably just make my life like 10,000 times easier. So that's something that this whole thing has taught me is that it's better to have a more portable setup. And then plus for the future, like if I want to do certain things and have it where, you know, wherever I go, my podcast can go with me, basically, that it would just be easier in the long run. So that's something that I've been looking at really recently. And another thing is that I started taking this like online PR certificate program. So I've been doing that and I've been going to those sessions a few times per week. Um, I also purchased this like business bundle that I heard about through, I think it was through your podcast pro. It's basically run by the people who have the podcast Almost 30 and it has like so many different business courses like ranging from finance, ranging from being able to have a podcast, ranging from being able to like be in debt free or start your own business, running social media, doing marketing. Like it has so many different resources on it. So I recently bought that and I'm in the process of setting all of that stuff up because there's like so many courses in there. Like when you look at it, like it's kind of overwhelming, but it's like exciting because for the price that I paid, like it's a really incredible deal. So I'm really excited to be able to dive into that. Um, What's something else that I've been doing? Oh yeah, I started and finished seasons three and seasons four of 13 Reasons Why. It only took me about like two weeks to finish them both. And I guess to be more so on the spoiler free side, it was kind of crazy. I did not like how the series ended in terms of how they wrapped up some of the storylines in season four. I wasn't really a big fan of that. And going into it, I knew that there was some things that a lot of people said they weren't happy about. So once I saw it for myself, I was like, well, dang, like, like, I just didn't like how some things were done for some characters. I felt like it was kind of not the way that that character should have 
um, like their storyline should have ended, in my opinion, just because like, I, well, I don't want to go into it too much because I might give it away. But I mean, it was okay. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that happened. Like one thing I will say is that with Clay Jensen, like in season four, like he carries so much emotional baggage like as far as like what's going through his thoughts and you know he really has a lot going on in his head and it's to the point where it's like really scary where it's like okay like is anybody gonna try to help him um just because there's just if you see the season or if you've seen the season already then like you already know like he goes through so much and then at the end of the season like towards the middle towards the end like for his storyline I was just like what the heck like I was so surprised by some of the stuff that happened again don't really want to give too much away but I was really like shocked for some stuff in his storyline and then I know in season three like they introduced that Ani character and like I don't really know like I wasn't really a fan of hers like especially when her and Jensen were supposed to be dating and I like it just didn't seem really real that they were dating like it seemed like that they were like really good friends and not that they were dating it just wasn't believable in my opinion and that was something that I saw on social media a lot too and then I've seen some stuff about people just in general not being a really big fan of the character Ani but I don't know like there were some times where it felt like her character was pretty distant and it didn't seem like distant like oh well the character's supposed to be distant it was like distant where it's just see didn't seem like she gelled well with the cast so I don't know if you haven't seen seasons three and seasons four 13 reasons why I highly recommend it especially if you started seeing the show in the beginning like when it first came out and I know for me like because I was so far removed from like Netflix culture that I didn't even realize that that show was still around and that they were coming out with new seasons so I was like wait they have a seasons three and a season four is about to come out I was like what the heck so I kind of felt I was kind of out of touch in terms of Netflix projects and stuff like that it's kind of sad that it's over but it's kind of it's time to be over if that makes sense so since I am completely done with 13 reasons why because that show is officially over season four is the series wrap-up and the last episode in season four is the series finale I moved on to watching the final season of Fuller House and to be honest like my TBW like to be watched list is so long like it's not even funny so I want to watch like All American. I want to watch All My Block because I know they have a new season out and I have not watched it. I want to finish watching Dear White People. I want to finish watching on Amazon Prime Upload. Like there are so many shows that I have not finished that it's not even funny. But yeah, that's basically what's been going on with me. So I guess now I can get right into my foodie likes. So my first foodie like is from the brand Go Macro and it's their sunflower butter and chocolate bar. And what I really like about it is that um, not only is it allergen friendly because of the sunflower butter, but it has chocolate to it as well because you guys know throughout this whole quarantine my go-to snack really has been getting like some really 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 dark chocolate and so I like that in combination with that and with the cacao powder and you know it's a nut free and high protein bar and that's something at least for me I don't know about you guys that's really hard to find like a bar that is high in protein um, that you could be able to take on the go wherever you go that is, you know, dairy free, that is, you know, nut free 
and is vegan and is gluten-free and it's non-GMO and it has 10 grams of protein in it. It's a really great safe snack to be able to have as a person who has food allergies. So I got some from Kroger because they had some on closeout. Now this wasn't my first time trying it. It was just my first time having it in a while because when I went to an expo some years back, I tried it for the very first time, I believe when the bar actually first came out and I really liked it then. I actually have a YouTube video of me actually doing a taste test of this bar, but I still like it to this day and I would recommend it if you are looking for some type of a snack to be able to pack, whether it's in your work bag, whether it's in your backpack, if you're going to classes, or if you just wanna be able to have it on hand during quarantine to be able to have a healthier snack. So hopefully this ends up working out. I know I had tried a bar in the past that I talked about here on the podcast, but it made me like break out on my face. So like I haven't had it since. So hopefully this won't do that because then I will be on the hunt for another type of bar that has a good amount of protein in it for me to be able to have. So my second foodie like is sparkling water, but surprise, surprise, who's surprised? Not me <laughs> or probably you guys either. And it's the LaCroix hibiscus flavor sparkling water. So me and my mom, we recently went to Sam's and we got like this big like 24 pack of LaCroix water. And that was one of the flavors that was in it. And I really like it. And um, I'm a really big fan of hibiscus in general. It's one of my favorite teas to like drink. So whether that's Tazo, which is like my favorite type of hibiscus tea. So I was really pumped to be able to try out this sparkling water and I really like it. And then another favorite that I have that I've talked about here on the podcast before, and it's the Whole Foods, like their soy chicken. And, but this time when I went, I got it from 365. They had it as a whole teriyaki bowl. And I was like, whoa. So it had the chicken and then it had like sauce on it. And then it had brown rice. And guys, like literally I had maybe five pieces of that chicken and I was like stuffed. <laughs> and I didn't even finish it until the next day. And I really like it. I really like the texture of that chicken. Like it tastes like real chicken. It tastes so good. The flavor was really good. So I really recommend it. The one thing I don't like is the fact that when I go to Whole Foods, whether that's 365 or Whole Foods, it's not like something that they constantly have. Like it's something that they have like once in a while. So I wish that they had that more along with their mock chicken salad. Guys, if you ever have the chance to try Whole Foods' mock chicken salad, oh my goodness gracious, that is so good. It's really good when they don't put too much mayonnaise in it because I'm not a mayonnaise person, but really good. Uh, yeah, those are my foodie likes. And for the first time in a few weeks, I actually have a foodie dislike. So my foodie dislike, like I talked about when I got the LaCroix 24 pack of water, there's a lot of different flavors in there. There's one flavor that I wasn't really a fan of. It was the limoncello. Guys, I tasted it and I was like, oh, okay, it tastes good. You, you know, you get the lemon flavor of it. But then I ended up tasting at the end when I was swallowing it like a creamsicle. And I am not a fan of a creamsicle. So I was like, oh no. And then I was trying to tell my mom. My mom was like, well, how did it taste? And I was like, well, first it tasted like lemon. Then it tasted like lime. And then at the end, it tasted like a creamsicle. And then she was like, that doesn't make any sense. And I was like, well, you have to try it. And then she tried it and was like, I, I see what you mean. And it's so weird, but like, those are like the three stages you go through when you're drinking this drink. Yeah, it just, it just was not a taste that was working for me. Wasn't a fan of it. I know that I probably won't 
ever try it again. Yeah, so those are my foodie likes and dislikes. So I guess I can get right into the allergy news. So what I'm going to be talking about in the allergy news is an app that I came across in a news article. So the app is called Whistle and Whistle, it analyzes information from the Consumer Product Safety Commission, the FDA, the CDC, and more. And the app, it sends like personalized updates on the ingredients that you and your family and your friends tend to avoid due to allergies or products that you purchase on a regular basis. So for an example, if there um, was an item that may be labeled dairy-free or like nut-free and it was accidentally contaminated and then gets recalled, the app would alert users about these recalls through alerts due to alert settings that users can set within the app and that the app is not just about food but also product recalls for products that contain mold, um, products with a choking hazard, things of that nature. And then in addition, the app tells you how you can go about getting a replacement or a refund, which I find really fascinating and really cool. And I think it's really cool that an app like this was created. The company Whistle was founded by this woman named Lauren Bell. She is a former federal prosecutor and she is a mother herself. And her job at the U.S. Department of Justice was prosecuting companies for unsafe products. And so that whole experience made her want to come up with a solution through an app that provide personalized safety information and up-to-minute recall notices, especially for up-to-date allergen recalls. And something like this being out in the marketplace is really important because every three minutes, food allergy reactions send someone to the emergency room. Like just let that sink in. Every three minutes, a food allergy reaction sends someone to the emergency room. And being able to have something like this app on your phone that's easily accessible so that you would be able to get personalized updates, having something like this as a resource is really important, readily available resources at the touch of people's fingertips um, because it just makes it that much easier for people to get more educated and to be more aware of what they should be looking for when it comes to their food allergies and food intolerances. That is the allergy news. It's pretty brief. It's pretty sweet. Um, I just saw this article and this app just made me want to be able to talk a little bit more about it as far as what the article says. But now that I am done talking about the allergy news, then I guess I can get right into today's topic, which is why blacks are more likely to have food allergies. So today's topic is a topic that I have been going back and forth about whether I should talk about it, but it's something that I definitely do want to talk about. And I've wanted to talk about this way before like the whole world, you know, came together to be able to take a stand and really just be the change with more and more people than ever backing up the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Because pre-COVID, I would go to this food out allergy expo each year that would you know travel across the country and one of the locations it would stop at was in Georgia and so as the years went by and you know I would always be asked to be a part of the blogger and press team for this expo and I would realize that there wasn't really anyone that looked like me or I could count on my hand and not even use all of my fingers when it came to seeing black content creators or even black attendees or just people of, of color in general and so through my my platform, I've always wanted to encourage all types of people to be able to go to 
events like these to be able to learn more about their health and their food allergies and their food sensitivities and their dietary restrictions from like health experts, dietitians, doctors, chefs, etc. And just really just seeing the lack of representation at these types of health and wellness events, it just made me want to be able to bring awareness to the black community as a black person with food allergies and with food restrictions because not a lot of people directly address the fact that the color of your skin plays a big role in how people are affected by food allergies. So whether that's just, you know, plain ignorance and not really knowing or having access to certain resources because you don't know that they exist or because of the institutionalized racism that lies within our healthcare systems. So this episode really is just all about blacks with food allergies as a black woman with food allergies. And so I'm going to be talking about why minorities well. To be honest, I honestly don't really like to use the word minority because on the whole grand scheme of things, people of color are far from being the minority in this world. When you really step back from everything and you look at all the different countries in the world, but that's just another discussion for a different day. But yeah, just basically how, you know, blacks and people of color are more likely and are apt to develop food allergies, you know, the importance of blacks educating themselves when it comes to their food allergies and just really being able to myth bust that stereotype that food allergies are a problem that mainly white people deal with and that health and wellness is really just only for white people. And so based on research that I've done on the topic of food allergies and blacks and people of color, I've realized that black, you know, young adults and especially children in general have higher rates of food allergies than their white counterparts. However, you know, they are less likely to get the treatment needed to be able to manage their condition and avoid potentially life-threatening allergic reactions. So although food allergies don't discriminate and anyone can be allergic to foods like peanuts and fish and milk and soy and tree nuts and shellfish and weed and eggs, you know, there is scientific evidence that shows that food allergies affect some populations disproportionately and children of color are at a greater risk. So there are like study findings that reveal that black Americans are less likely to have access to an allergist. They're less likely to use corticosteroid medications for asthma attacks and allergies or to even have aphenophrine auto injection in case of anaphylaxis. And studies have also shown that black children have a higher rate of emergency visits for food allergies compared to white children. And there's this doctor, her name is Dr. Madavinia. She said that this could all be result of the severity of their allergies being much worse. And because they have less access to primary care, they have inferior practices at home to be able to help with managing their allergies and that higher asthma rates in these types of children are likely to be leading to having worse and worse food allergy incidents. And the one thing that really threw me off when I was looking at all these different types of studies, well, there's a few things that that threw me off. One was that black children are six times more likely to die of an asthma attack than white children. Just let that sink in. Six times more likely to die of an asthma attack than white children. That could ultimately affect your different situations with food allergies. And another disturbing fact is that the black community has the greatest allergic disease burden and they have the least amount of support. 
So like for an example, in 2014, there was a study that was published in the Annals of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, which is a publication from the ACAAI, which is the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology. And in this study, they talked about how not only children's food allergies are gradually increasing, but it's doubling among Black children in specific. The lead study author, she is the assistant professor of pediatrics at Johns Hopkins University. She said that their research found really a striking food allergy trend that needed to be further evaluated. Now with this study, it really broke new ground because it was able to find the presence of food allergy varying significantly depending on a person's race or ethnicity. And the analysis, it showed that food allergy increased among black children at a rate of 2.1% per decade and 1.2% among Hispanics and then 1% among. And then there was another study that was published in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology where it was shown that minority children and children from low-income families are more likely to have undiagnosed and untreated food allergies than their majority and or more affluent peers. And what was found in this study was that it showed that there was more in the mid to high income Caucasian kids when it came to seeing the trends within like food allergies. So one question that the lead author for this study was, you know, is food allergy really less prevalent in minority and with low income kids or are doctors and allergists really just not diagnosing it in them? And so what the study had showed was that with black and Asian children, they specifically had higher odds of having a food allergy than a Caucasian child and that black children they are twice as likely as white children to have a peanut allergy and milk allergies and they're four times as likely to be allergic to shellfish and unlike some other food allergies which children tend to outgrow shellfish and peanut allergies are more likely to continue into adulthood and I think that that's very interesting because a lot of people that I know that are black they tend to have a peanut allergy and they tend to have had it when they were younger when they were kids and then they kind of like grew and they still have it and I know I've talked about it in an episode before where I've had it where I've been in class with people that have had peanut allergies and you know talking about some of the reactions that they've had when they've been exposed to their allergen and one thing that from looking at all of this research and looking at all these different articles about black people with food allergies with food allergies is that the reasoning behind why a lot of these kids and young adults have a lower chance of being diagnosed, it could be a mixture of a lot of different things. So it could be a mixture of like limited financial resources, not be really being able to have the same access to quality medical care as, you know, their white counterpart. So like if a family doesn't have access to a primary care provider, they might either like take it into their own hands and just try to make sure that their child just avoids the food completely. But there are also a lot of parents and just people in general who just don't discuss their food allergies, whether it's with their family, whether it's with their kid, and they don't discuss it with their, you know, their doctor because they're just really unaware that there is a treatment or like a plan that could be able to help them with making sure that their child is on the right path to making sure that their health is first. And that with 
not being educated about food allergies and not really knowing what signs to look for and like what do if you or your kids or anyone that you know that's a family member or friend um what you should look for as far as symptoms you know a lot of people may think like I was saying before that a child might outgrow their allergy so they don't really do anything and then it might be a and then if they don't do anything then it could grow to be more complex to treat Or it could get to a point where it's so severe that they don't have any other option but to go to the emergency room. And then with the emergency room, it comes with more bills and, you know, a lot of a lot of other things end up coming up. And then it just causes a lot more headache and stress for a family because we all know that going into the emergency room can be very expensive. And, you know, it could be really, really scary as well. So making sure that you have a plan in place to be better prepared so that it's not like you unexpectedly have to take yourself or have to take a family member or a child to an emergency room when you could have had a plan in place. So really what I was able to gather from everything was that it's really important that people are educated about how to choose safe foods and like I've said in previous episodes how to read food ingredient labels in stores and just making sure that you really understand food allergies are serious and that it could have just a really major impact on your life, on your kid's life, on your family life or if you know somebody that has food allergies on their life and it's really important that not only we as people who are dealing with food allergies teach ourselves but that the people that we are trusting like nurses and you know doctors and things like that are knowledgeable about food allergies themselves and really just making sure that people are aware of learning how to you know administer the epinephrine because that could potentially save a child life if they are having a severe reaction so really just knowing how to be able to use that knowing you know what they should be carrying on a day-to-day basis um knowing you know how to be able to navigate social settings knowing you know when you're going to school or whether you're going to college how to be able to ask the necessary questions so I think it's really important that when it comes to just food allergy awareness in general education is key and that not only do we as people have to be educated but we have to make sure that everybody around us is educated as well and the people that are supposed to be helping us and being able to also there's been you know other studies about how like I was saying before how black children have higher rates of being allergic to wheat being allergic to soy being allergic to corn being allergic to fish shellfish compared to white kids and having higher rates of asthma and eczema and there's another study from 2010 that talks about how black boys in specific are at an increased risk for food allergies and how the odds of a male black child having food allergies are 4.4 times higher than any other in the general population. There's also another study about how with people who tend to live in the inner city and of kids who were at higher risk for food allergy and 74% of them were black and 18% of them were Hispanic and by the age of five 9.9% of these children they had developed food allergies, which was a considerably higher than the rate of 6.5% of children having food allergies that was documented in a general population survey. So really there's so many studies talking about how race and ethnicity 
come into play when it comes to food allergies. And it's something that really has sparked my interest in wanting to talk more about it, being able to bring more awareness to all types of people, specifically people of color and specifically people who are black. And when I tend to go to different events, whether they're online or offline or discussions or chat about food allergies and food intolerances and things of that nature, there's not many people that look like me that are in the room. And so I want to be able to open and be able to have this type of conversation and being able to encourage others to have these types of conversations within their household to be able to educate people, be able to educate yourselves. And I'm learning more and more every day. And I'm so happy that I took the time to be able to look at a lot of these different studies for you guys to be able to talk about it because I've really learned so much from looking at these different types of things and realize that there's such a disconnect for certain races when it comes to health issues and our healthcare system. And it's really allowed me to be able to open my eyes and learn more and want to learn more. So that is today's episode. I hope you guys found it really informational and really interesting because I found doing like looking at all of these different studies and reports to be really interesting and some of the findings that was found within these studies just because like you don't really think about, at least for me personally, I never really thought about how race and ethnicity can come into play about food allergies, but when you really step back and look at everything, it kind of really makes sense. And I wanted to be able to show, you know, black people should be just as concerned, maybe even more when it comes to health and wellness. So if you guys want me to talk about more topics like this, then be sure to let me know on the Oh My Allergies Instagram page. It's always linked in the show notes. And if you have not subscribed to the Oh My Allergies podcast, I honestly don't know what you're waiting for. You definitely should so you don't miss out on really good conversations like this one. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Bye guys.